August 3, 2021. It's a lot for Pedro show.
from right. Pedro Show. Happy Tuesday. Started off with John Coltrane, Miles Davis. Oh, we got a little feedback there. Sorry, so I'm getting pinged. I'm getting message. Oh pinged. shit! Turn your leash <laughs> off, okay? Leave while yeah, Pedro on. Show leave at least free zone. Um, in your own sweet way, John Coltrane, Miles Davis, and then Lou Barlow. How do I know? And uh, people I gave away the surprise, but because of them software engineers in Estonia with their righteous Skype invention, I got with me brother Lou Barlow. Welcome aboard, Lou. Hi. Where are you talking to me from? You just did a drive from uh, Camp Fuzz? No, I, I drove from uh, Burlington, Vermont to Troy, New York. I'm playing a show in Troy tonight. Okay, so you weren't at Camp Fuzz. I was there last week. Oh, okay, but not on this yeah. drive. Watt, Watt's got his no. timeline fucked up. Yeah, okay. And Camp Fuzz, I got invited to, but then the situation came in. What, what, what's that like? Um, well, it's like, it's like this little kind of resort camp. I mean, it's not like fancy or anything, but it's, you know, it's got a bunch of like little buildings or little houses people stay in and also like little, these kind of funny little yurt tent things. And, um, people come and hang out with us for like three days. And us and people, we, I got to tell the listeners, us, it means dinosaur, Jay, Murph, Luke. Yep, dinosaur. It's a dinosaur junior camp fuzz. So they hang out with the three of us, and uh, our families come too, generally. And this is the second one that we've done. And we play we play two shows during the course of that three days, and then we do like I did a solo show too, and Jay did a solo show, and then we each kind of do like I don't know what, where we just get on stage and talk about what we do. So, uh, do you teach music in any way? Not really. Okay. I don't know how I would do that. I mean, I, this this last time I did like a PowerPoint presentation on my history with the bass, you know, where I, I like figured out how to like do a sort of a slideshow. And then I kind of officiated this or, you know, I talked about the slides and uh, it's kind of a challenge. I, I, I would love to, to do something where we actually taught, but I don't know how I would do that. So. Okay. We need you to come. We need you to come. I was thinking about that. We were driving back. My wife okay, and I, I were talking about it. It was, like, Jay, it was gotta... Jay who sent me uh, some kind of invite in an email, but, you know, the situation developed. And, you know, I'm all for it. And, it, yeah. and it, you know, Buddha said, stop teaching, stop living, you know, stop learning, stop living. I mean, the whole thing. I understand exactly. But but uh, we kind of jumped ahead because I want to get into your fucking uh, journey through music. So please yeah. bring your earliest now, remember, it's a Watt for Pedro show. There's no hard questions. There's no wrong answers. But what's the earliest musical memory that you still got in your fucking mind, Brother Lou? My, my early, uh, I heard the song Hot Rod Lincoln by Commander Cody and the Lost Airmen. Fuck, Pedro's in there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, my that's talent's in the lyrics. <laughs> it is. That's right. That's got the, I didn't really realize what the lyrics were about until I moved to California. And uh, then, but uh, anyway, yeah, that was my first kind of, that was my first experience hearing something on the radio that I really wanted to own. You know, I wanted, and I, my parents gave me, they gave us a buck every week to buy a single, a seven inch single. And I would, I bought that single and that was my first kind of introduction to buying music. And that's the first record you bought with your own money. Yeah. Okay. And this pad you grew up in, if I remember correct, Ohio. No, this was in Jackson. I was, I was born in Ohio in Dayton, Ohio, but, uh, my family moved to Jackson, Michigan, kind of shortly after that. So that's where I lived in Jackson, okay. Michigan. In this pad, Lou, was there musical instruments? My parents always had a guitar around. Yeah, they didn't play. No one played like 
no one could play, but there was always a guitar around. I think my parents, they loved music, but they didn't, they didn't really do it themselves. I think they, they wanted me to, they had me do, they had me, uh, in guitar lessons when I was quite young, you know, not, I mean, you know, probably like seven, I think six or seven years old, they had me in guitar lessons. And, and how was lessons that the experience, you know, I've had people, especially the piano lesson experience almost drove people away from music, but sometimes it's real positive. How was it for you with guitar? Lessons? Uh, it was, I, I kind of hated it. I hated my guitar lessons. It's, it's the only time that my mother, my mother's a very mild woman, but she actually, she grabbed me and she shook me when I, when I told her I didn't want to play guitar anymore. She grabbed me. And she's like, you got to do this. And, uh, and I kept doing it. Okay. And then, got to listen to Ma. Can I tell you a, a guitar lesson mom story? A, a little bit related to here, SoCal? Sure. Tom Watson got instructions from Milo goes to college. Milo's Ma. <laughs> Really? I wouldn't shit you, brother Lou. That's awesome. <laughs> no, it's a small fucking world. A lot of parallel universes. You know? I don't know that. I mean, I'm, uh, considering how, many, how much time I've spent with uh, Tom. Funny that I don't know that. But. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of sides to Tom Watson. There it is. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, in, in, in only 15, 16 miles from Pedro, but it could be another universe. So th this is the Redondo yeah. Beach, Manhattan Beach, uh, not yep. Pedro, you know. Uh, but, but fuck, me and Tom Watson probably had more common ground than any of our neighbors in Pedro or him in Manhattan Beach. So in a way, we were, you know, I've been playing with him now 20 years. Yeah. Christ. Okay, yeah. so maybe that's why I kind of know that little thing. Also, me and D. Boom put out the first three descending albums. But anyway, about your story. Yep. What about school? Uh, were you in the choir, the marching band, or shit like that? No, I wasn't. But there was. I will say there was. When I was in sixth grade, I I was able to take a guitar class instead of going to gym. I don't know how this happened, but I was able to take a guitar class, and there were five kids in the guitar class, and we had this this teacher who sat and he taught us all the same song at once. So it was amazing, and that was actually the real breakthrough experience for me was sitting in a because this teacher really took the time and he taught us he taught us like five or six of us how to play "Dust in the Wind," you know, uh, like Kansas. At, at D-Boon learned that song, and we played a talent show in Torrance, and, and he clammed. But D-Boon was so, you know, he, he looked, you know, he had a look on his face like, that was supposed to be there. Yeah. <laughs> That's showbiz, brother. Okay, so this teacher's name. Uh, Mr. Burnett. Yeah, and he you, had, Mr. He Burnett. had beautifully, he had beautifully 70s, he had aviator frames and beautiful 70s feathered blonde hair, I believe. Oh, yeah. But, well, John Wetton had that, what's it called, blow dryer or something like that. It did. It, he looked, he had almost like the kind of Bruce Jenner back then. Okay. Now, but, uh, but the wonderful thing was, the wonderful thing was that he, we never played alone. We always played with, there was, a, we, when we did Dust in the Wind, it was like five kids trying to make it through the, to the end of that song together so it really created and, and by playing it together it also gave you kind of an anonymity to it so it wasn't like that sense of like here's your recital and you got to buckle down so i was i got i really fell in love with guitar by playing it with other other kids at the same time and then also just the sound as well it was like it was cool you know like when you get like four or five guitars playing together it was, it was a cool it was a cool vibe i really appreciate what that teacher did for me now yeah. we're talking acoustic guitar yeah they were acoustic guitars yeah right now do you 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 make the, oh i gotta ask you the first 
first gig you saw? The first gig. Um, well, actually, it was I didn't see a show until I was I think I was like 15 and I saw a local. It was a there was a new wave band like a clash style punk band and then actually kind of like a hardcore band this would have been like 1981 or like late 80 or 81 and it was an afternoon show at a porn theater in a, in a small town close by where i grew up and it was a band called the junior hostesses that were like new wave kind of b52 styles uh new wave there was a band called Dust stupids and they played almost like they were almost kind of like the plasmatics or something they were just but they played really fast blurry you know sort of johnny ramon style guitar but it was way more abstract than that they were kind of a really cool band they had a lady Phoenix. singer they had a female lead singer who kind of that, that was unusual for hardcore it was, and it, it was actually before hardcore. I mean, there was at that point, it's like, I don't even know if I had mail-ordered, like, your record. You know, I mean, the first records I mail-ordered were, like, Minutemen, Minor Threat, um, you know, anyway. But they, but, and then there was a band called Section 8 who who wore leather jackets, and they wanted to be the Clash so bad they could taste it. You know, it was, <laughs> <laughs> that and it was cool, but it was a great show. It was like a really, it was, and I, and it just really, it, it you know, it changed my life. I loved it. Okay, I want to play this tune you sent me called Over You. Okay.
Life's a game 
chunk of music start off Lou Barlow over you then we had part B4 of Lagoon Monster Rubber Mass from Bronze Age UFO out of Baltimore uh, after that Bombas Prendon from nearby DC area with at the crux of the Clifton Cross and uh, Leaf Blower uh, Raquel from uh, Galaxy's new project I think it might be with Lisa Cameron his uh, uh, recording uh, in Joshua Tree just a couple weeks ago. Soul Beauty. Lou Barlow, Why Can't It Wait? Sam Lock Ward featuring John Hansen with a Manly Forest City. <laughs> what a title. Yeah, out of uh, Iowa City. Uh, you, you probably uh, remembered Gabe's Oasis and that fucking load in the back. <laughs> Russell uh, upstairs. The staircase. Oh, my God. Yes, yeah, Cinder Block. Man, getting Pizzo's fucking ham and B3 up that motherfucker when it was raining. Paul Rossler. Oh, man. That was... That, yeah, like Ishmael, he lived to tell the tale. Okay, Bob Buckle Jr. from D nearby Dubuque with our common concerns. Emmanuel Armida from uh, uh, he's in Mexico City guy, but he's living up in uh, Yellowknife, Northwest Territory. Marilyn Manson T-shirts. Finally, reason to live. Lou Barlow. So, um, do you eventually get electric guitar. What's that? You eventually get electric guitar. I did. My parents bought me an electric guitar after, shortly after we moved to Massachusetts. Okay, when and, I was and maybe an 12. amp came with it. What? Uh, yeah, a tiny little amp came with it. I don't remember what kind okay, or anything. Okay, now, 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 I'm not talking about since you didn't do music in school at all. What about after school? Not graduating, but in the afternoon, the bedroom band, the basement band, the garage band. Did you do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, once I, once I kind of got into punk i wanted to we we formed uh, and actually i started eating lunch with a kid at school named scott helland uh, i'm gonna see him tomorrow actually but he he kind of looked like dd ramon and he loved the ramones he wore a ramon shirt and we started eating lunch together and just talking about Ram the ramones and punk rock and black flag and we started we decided we decided to form a band and we got a, a, a kid around the corner to play pots and pans yeah <laughs> and, and we did when our, our first song was called "Missing in Action." That that Scott wrote. It was kind of a Ramones style song about World War Two. And we did that. <laughs> we did that in my parents' attic. You know. Now, yeah, Dee Boone liked history. He, I, I never read history except for the encyclopedias until I met Dee Boone. Uh, uh, but what about you? 
Because, man, you, you end up being a fucking prolific songwriter. Can you remember the first songs you fucking wrote? Were they with this cat? No, I mean, I, I wrote a song called Punch in the Nose with my cousin in Ohio. Like, we, I'd, we'd go down to Dayton, Ohio. When I lived in Michigan, we wouldn't go down to Dayton, Ohio, you know, like three or four times a year. And probably when I was 11 or so, I, I wrote a song called Punch in the Nose. With you my, know what? It ain't that far, and you probably passed through Maumee, right? You sent me a song called it. Big yeah, that's that's kind of why. Right, I seventy five. Yeah, because uh, what we every time we'd cross the Maumee River, my dad would say the mighty Maumee River, and I was just always <laughs> like. And, and then when I, I did a show, you know, a couple of years ago, I played at a, a record store called Culture Clash in Toledo, and. I had to pass over the mommy going over it. And then when I sat down to do my sound check, I just started writing this song and I wrote the, the mommy song. But so you think Punch in the Nose was your first song you ever wrote? I believe so. I mean, I, I did also wrote something on piano called I Hate Cooked Cereal that I used to taunt my mother. That, that was because I hate it, what we had for breakfast every morning. I just said something where I hate cooked cereal over and over and over again, playing piano, like sort of a piano riff. Well, tell me about the I, piano. Where's there a piano in the pad? There was a piano in the house, yep. Totally. Okay, you and know. you used to jump on it. Did you, you didn't well, have I, to do lessons I played, on it? I left, when I realized that if you play all the black keys, it sounds great. You know, I just stayed away from the white keys, and I played all the black keys, and it was you great. You know who tuned his guitar to black keys on a piano? Who? Curtis Mayfield. Wow. A lot of F sharps. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's really sad was, though, uh, uh, also no uh, pick, right? Fingers. But he, 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 in fact, I saw the last gig before the lights fell on him in Brooklyn and oh, paralyzed his head. So he never really got to teach people his. He had a band in Chi-Town called uh, Impressions, you know, when he's a teenager. Even a label. Curse Mayfield was way ahead of his time. Dezo at yeah. uh, SST, you know, when I was uh, winding Transformers for Greg's uh, uh, ham radio uh, antenna tuners, he would play that live Curtis record all the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Dezo, you know, his daddy was Ozzy Kadena. He had such a wide. A lot of those dudes, the punk thing over here with the Hollywood scene, you know, before hardcore, it was really wide open. It wasn't just fast guitar. So, yeah. Yeah. And Dezo was one of these cats. He's in New Jersey these days. So, um, mm -hmm. let me ask you, because where I know you playing guitar is a band called Deep Wound. Yeah. How's that happen? Uh, well, we, we decided we wanted to get a real drummer, you know, uh, so we, there was a, there was a record store that was kind of local to us called Main Street Records in Northampton and Scott, Helen and I composed a little flyer and said we wanted the, a drummer that played as fast as possible. And this is after <laughs> we, cause we had gotten, you know, we had like group sex by the Circle Jerks and, you know, things were just getting faster, and there was just there was just this need for speed. You know, did and, you guys uh, uh, at that so, time ever hear of middle class? No, I had bought, I actually mail ordered that single really early on. That's one of the first singles singles I mail ordered. I got it like I think I might have got it before the Minutemen. Because I think they're the faster band, even before Ian and his. Uh, they were what, they are absolutely, in my opinion, the first. You know, there was middle class. There was also a band called Mentally Ill from Chicago. Yes, that that's right. Um, I'm fucking your kids. Right, yes. John Wayne Gacy. Thurston, Gacy, show me Gacy. that record. There's a picture of Rosalind Carter shaking this guy in a clown suit. John Wayne right. Gacy. Right, and then the the you know the original. I got the world imitation meat puppet seven inch as well. So like there was, I mean, obviously this kind of insanely fast, crazy punk was already happening and had been happening for years at that point, like by 1981. 
But, uh, you know, we just wanted to do, we wanted to have like a real fast drummer. So we said, we want a fast drummer on this flyer. And Jay answered that he called. So he you, didn't, the, you didn't know Jay before this? No, I didn't. Although I, d I had heard his voice because he actually had a radio show at the University of Massachusetts radio station, WMUAJ. And his, his buddy Charlie had a show on Sunday mornings right after the Polka show. And they called it the Brainwash Show, named after that flipper track, you know, where it repeats over and sure, over again. Sure. The, the B-side yeah, of yeah, Sex yeah, Bomb. Never mind. <laughs> I got to do that two years ago with him, man. I love it. Now, Charlie, nice. Charlie, you're talking about the Gobblehoof singer. Exactly. Charlie. Okay. Okay. So they had a they had a radio show that so I didn't I didn't realize it was him until we actually I met him and then realized like, oh my god, he's the kid who has the because they played all they they played like a lot of uh, imports on that show. They didn't really like I was really into U.S. Like I was into domestic hardcore, you know, mostly. And Jay had all of these. When I met him, the first thing that we would like we were like in his room and he played us like Discharge and uh, Disorder, like those really insanely noisy. Uh, I guess you would call them crust punk bands now. Well, but back yeah, then, it was like the second wave, uh, anti Posti and uh, anti Nowhere League and. Yeah, stuff like that, but then the but then like discharge, you know, the and stuff discharge, that was just like CBH, yeah, absolute clearing the. But I gotta tell you, Lou, when you went yeah. in a store in those days, a fucking chain store, they put all our punk stuff in the import bin. You know, imported from Lawndale, yeah, motherfuckers. <laughs> they did. Although this, the one store that we love, the the like our little meeting spot was Main Street Records, like I said, and they they did it properly, and they well, it was of a good course, Zed of London's was like that. Poobahs. Vinyl fetish, yeah, the the real punk stores. But I was talking more about real the Merch chain of stores. No, no, the ones in the mall, yeah. <laughs> the ones Warehouse, licorice pizza, you know this kind of shit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yep. so what was the first prac like with Jay? It was insane. We 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 tried to play a song with him, and he stopped, and he said, "Like you guys are the fastest band in Massachusetts." Which might have been, which might have been the only time that I've ever him ever heard Jay like compliment like <laughs> during a during a band practice. I mean, Jay's a real, he's a pretty, he's kind of a taskmaster, but he yeah. was he seemed like legitimately like blown away that we wanted to play that fast, you know. Now, did he just, look like the guy on the back of that first dinosaur record? It looked like his hair caught fire and he put it off and put it out with an ice pick. And I asked him about that, and he said something about uh, birthday party. Oh, Jay, you mean his, the Jay's image on the back cover? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, he was a fashion plate, man. That guy, he had the coolest, he had the, I, I say this and it embarrasses him every time. He, he just, it cannot be denied. The guy, like, had great clothes. He did crazy shit to his hair. He would put eggs in his hair and make it stick up. And then also, when we were really young, when he was first playing drums with us, he showed up at practice one day with just chunks of his hair cut up. With a razor, you know, just like, like. That's what just, I was trying to say. Yeah, just so. bald, just spots cut out, and I was like, "That is like, that was so intense. That would have gotten me like beaten to death at my high school." <laughs> he like he did it, you know. He the, they were they lived up in Amherst, so it was a bit more. It's a bit more of a tolerant. Uh, it's, it's a very like it's a it's a real. College we're only town, talking so. a couple miles, right? I know, but it's, it made a difference. No, they I know. Were, I believe it. I believe it. I, believe <laughs> I was it. I was like I was scared to death to do anything like that in my school, but Jay also was pretty fearless anyway. So yeah. I, yeah, bitching. Look, we're at the end of the first hour, August three, twenty twenty one. Dish Watt Peter, so special guest Lou Barlow. Whole time, hour two. 
August 3, 2021. It's the second hour of the Watt for Pedro show. Originally you were called Miami. Do you know what he came to drain you to a creek? Call you Monkey. Poison.
Off from Pedro Show. Started the second hour off with Maomi. Big River and people. If you want to know the history of Detroit, it was used for a toilet for a long time. <laughs> it'll be very foul, but it's actually beautiful. Uh, and they're trying to get it better. King Champion Sounds, brand new. Now you would know the boss man of King Champion Sounds. He had a band called Donkey and used to do dinosaur sound. Uh, That's right. Right. AJ. AJ. Yep. Right. Good guy, man. Yep. Telemetry from his new album. Lou Barlow after that with Love Intervene. And Lucas Sabella from Sydney, Australia with Jaguar. And Clouded Age, Lou Barlow. Okay, so what was the first uh, Deep Wound gig like? I don't know. I, we played in a, like a, a backyard party. We actually had a different singer at that point, and uh, he hid behind a tree. <laughs> <laughs> And it was just this weird little, it was like a, it was, a, I think it was a get together. Like it was a lot of kids that maybe Jay had went to high school with. And uh, anyway, our lead singer hid behind a tree. And shortly after that, Jay kind of fired him from the band. <laughs> it's like, I got to, I know somebody might who who really get out there and fuck shit up and be a real lead singer. So he got Charlie. He enlisted Charlie, Charlie. Charlie, you knew from the radio show. How old were you guys? Uh, 16. Okay. I think Scott, our bass player, I think at that point he was 15. Okay, now, now, are you writing songs for the band? I did, yeah. I brought a bunch of songs that I wrote initially, and then uh, we kind of, like, we started the band playing my songs, and then Jay just started writing songs, and kind of, uh, it kind of took over in a cool way, you know? Like, he started writing, like, great songs on just these really good hardcore tunes. And, what, uh, what about Charlie? Did he write words? Charlie wrote some words, I think, for Jay's songs. I think they did. They had some collaborate collaborations together. Uh, but um, generally, it was like, yeah, Jay just, you know, I think I had an initial sort of a little pack of songs that I brought to it, and then Jay just started writing. And, now and you, we, you guys uh, recorded, we did, right? We did. We we did a we did a demo in, our, in Jay's basement in his parents' house basement, and then then we got to we went to a real studio in in Boston called Radio Beat. Now that's on the yeah. other side of the state, people. It is. So that's like a journey. And and this what? is your is this your first time recording? No, you oh, must yeah. have been. Nah, you must have been done doing some home stuff. No. Oh, oh no, always home. I mean, I started recording at home when I was very young. I mean, I, I mean, when I realized I could, you know, you had those old those old sort of cassette consoles that you could have those little plastic mics that you plug in with the little quarter inch mono adapter, and then you put that inside of a guitar. <laughs> you put yeah, that inside yeah. of an acoustic guitar and it sounds great because it comes roaring through the speakers. That's really what where I started. I started writing really, really, really short songs. I mean, I think I was really, I was very inspired by your band. You know, I was inspired by the brevity of things. And you I know, really, we got the idea from Wire, though. It wasn't our idea. We got from. No, I know. You guys were. I mean, it was pretty. I mean, I had known a lot about post punk before I had I had heard the Minutemen, so I sort of understood where you guys. You guys had a really pretty big, like, UK kind of... Uh, well, it was influence. mixed, because the other side was gigs up in Hollywood, so it's a lot of dills and germs, screamers, nervous janders. Yeah, yeah. So, and then there's bands we never see, right? They're, all we know them by is records, Throb and Gristle. We've all finally got yeah. to see them, but they blew the PA out the first two. <laughs> <laughs> and I met the singer. He had Nazi rings on all his fingers. But, uh, yeah, it was a trip. <laughs> but uh, back to your story, though. That recording in Boston. Yep. Yeah, we did. We we recorded. We we did a, a day there. It was a, a blur. 
You know, but, but, but was it a demo or, or did it get pressed up? I got pressed up. Now Jay's Jay's girlfriend at the time uh, funded the pressing of the record, and we, I guess it would be in collaboration with Radio Beat Studios. It came out on Radio Beat Records, and it was two two guys that uh, there were two guys there that engineered it who went on to do a lot of other things, uh, but um, and who had done things before that. But anyway, they made a really they made a pretty full fidelity you know capture of our little band at the time. So. Now, now was there any Deep Wound Torrent? No, no, we played, we played, we only played in Boston and locally. And I think we tried to play in Connecticut once at the Anthrax show, but we, we went down in two cars and got separated and only my car made it down there. I made it down there with Jay's drums and it was a show with, it was a show with like, I think adrenaline OD and some you know cool, what? Like, oh, New York city. I, I played Anthrax with Minuteman. Yeah. You definitely played yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I want to play this tune you gave me called pause. Okay. I like you because you give me pause Hand an animal to me Can I protect you then retract my claw Then the belly you will see Give me You tame me well Set me free and keep me close You protect me from myself And when you're raw, I want you
Thank you.
doing pause. Then our Al Margolis, he's living in Chester, New York these days. Bass guitar duo for Zach Roden. Lou Barlow within my arms. No Joy. Uh, she was just on the show a couple episodes ago. Judith. And finally, Thirsty. Lou Barlow. So now, tell me if I got this wrong or right. Okay. Well, my recollection, Jay said he wanted some little side mouse proj where he tried to do guitar, because he's really a drummer. He told me he learned how to do a lot of drum stuff from Georgie. Uh, what makes a man start fires? Cracking that record, but he, okay. said, he said he taught himself some guitar listening to Funhouse and Ronnie. Uh huh. So it was just some kind of a joke band on the side, but then I guess it becomes the real band, and then you get off. The, you go to bass. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I I remember the 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 transition being quick and dramatic. Like all of a sudden, he. I mean, I we. Deep Wound kind of fizzled out and, you know, but, but shortly after that, he, he's like, I have a new band and I want you to play bass. And then he unveiled this, I don't know, like this, this, this batch of demos that were, I mean, insane, like incredibly well formed. I mean, when he, when he said, when he says that he was influenced by the Stooges, what he actually produced as far as a guitar player was like, really like he was the chords that he was using the, I mean, he, it was breathtaking and intimidating like what the his his initial group of dinosaur junior song or dinosaur songs were were incredible i i just i can't i mean it was not it was i there was at no point that it seemed to me that it was anywhere it's it came out as far as my perception it seemed fully formed right away it was can you remember the first dinosaur gig uh no, I have a hard time remembering early shows, Mike. So I do I. So do I. Jesus. I was so. I was so. It was so intense, and so it, they were all just blurs, and I was just obsessed with trying to play the songs right, and I was so hard on myself that I, I could never, I could never, really stop and and even under even it's really, okay. really notice okay. what's going on. But let, let's talk about bass because this is the first time you get on bass. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What was the big diff between the work and the guitar? Well, it's cool because it only had four strings, and I was <laughs> and at that and at that point I had you know I was you know I mentioned making these uh, home recordings, yeah, 
those home recordings were generally done with with uh, guitars with less than six strings because oh, you know I would right. break the, right. I would break the strings and I'd just start to write so I would just keep writing songs I couldn't buy the strings so I would just I was creating these song fragments with like you know five strings and four strings and three strings then two strings so I was like at that point um, I was really I I'd gotten really into the this idea of less strings so when he suggest that I play the bass it it, it really it kind of fit with my little journey at that but point. But can I tell you as a bass player what I find really unique about your take on the bass is you brought over the chord stuff. Yeah. I mean Jay actually really suggested that as well. I mean I think I would have naturally done that, but Jay also really wanted that. I mean Jay was very I mean he had some very specific ideas about what the bass should do and we were really into Motorhead and we were also I think just oh, too Lemmy, hard Lemmy. What, what what about uh, in a jar? Who wrote that bass line? I wrote that one. That's Unless, got that's got not a lot of chords, but it is a bitchin' fucking line, man. I'm, I I yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> not a I line. About, it's not a line. I mean, it's I, a fucking song. It's, a, it's got chorus, verse, bridge. It's beautiful. It's a, the the song itself is a the structure of it is incredible. I don't. I mean, I think I was just. I don't know. I think at that point we had played some. We had already played. Our first album had already come out, so we had, I had done a lot of like, I you know it was trial by fire. Learn, I I really had to learn that the bass and the drums worked together. I didn't really know, <laughs> I didn't really fully understand that when when Dinosaur began. It was almost like it was still on that kind of hardcore mindset where, you know, we just try to end at the same time. Sure, like that was sure, it. Sure. You don't. It wasn't you. Was there wasn't too much thought about what the interaction between the instruments as it went along, other than whether it sounded good or whatever. But like I really when you had, heard I, a Motown I, song, you weren't hearing James Jamerson and Betty Benjamin working together. Right. I started to listen to me. I, in the midst of that, when we went out and started to play shows for our first record, I realized that like in order to really, that Murph and I needed to join forces and become powerful to stand, you know, to basically to stand up to the, to what Jay was putting out, which was like this massive wall of sound, but also to really accentuate his melodies and stuff. And I started to really understand what a rhythm section was and, and I think in a jar and raisins, uh, that was where yeah, I really like, I really, Murph and I were like, I really, we listened a lot. I really started to really listen to him. We started to practice just the two of us without Jay too, because it was much easier for us to really lock down and hear each other. And I was like, so into Jay's songs and so into where they were going and really understood them. I was able to kind of like enforce Jay's song structures <laughs> And then also learn them with Murph, and but do it without Jay. You know, it was kind That's of that's totally responsible way a bass cat should aid and abet a band. I think it's beautiful, brother Lou. We're at the end of the second hour, August 3, 2021, in Dish Wapito Show. Special guest Lou Barlow. Hold tight for our freight. August third, twenty twenty one. It's the third hour, Wapito Show. Your phone. 
show start off the third hour Lou Barlow doing privatize then we heard track two live at turn 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 in Portland August 10th Portland Oregon not the one closer to you uh, Toleman the Portland improvisers then Polito this is a live 2012 version Lou Barlow uh, first I want to talk about the first time I heard dinosaur it was from D Boone he said mm. here I want to play you what I think is East Coast meat puppets yeah. <laughs> that's what he said and he played Severed Lips for me. Yeah. You know, and that's my first turn on. He loved it, man. And I dug it, too. I dug it, too. I thought, because to me, it was the the, the other trio that was missing. Because we, we were in love with uh, Hooskers and Meat Puppets. And now there was these younger cats, Dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah, and to me, that was the way Greg did that. You didn't have to sound like Black Flag to be on Black Flag's label. Right. That was such a bitching thing. Okay. Polito. I got to talk, you know, I've had a lot of people, especially in the last six months, from this thing called cassette culture. Al Margolis, a huge guy of this thing, uh, where people were trading tapes, right? The way I knew trading tapes was things called mixtapes, and that's how you knew about bands other people had. This is the home recording kind of thing, what you were onto as a kid without probably even knowing this existed, right? Um, the, reason, yeah, I mean, I knew- the reason I say this is because when I heard You're Living All Over Me in the last song, Polito, I happened to be in New York City, and I asked Kim Go- Kim Gordon hit me to this. You know what? Lou Barlow's been giving me cassettes like this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just how I reached out to people, really. I mean, cassettes were a way of communicating with people. And uh, But this is you. This is man alone with uh, overdubs right till the hiss outnumbers the sound or what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, was a lot, that was a lot of, like, you know, playing. A lot of that was, like, before I got a four track where I would play, I would record right, something right. and then play it back out to the speakers and then record it again, then back and back and back and forth. And it, and if you do it enough, you actually can create this insanely <laughs> abrasive squeal, you know, but yeah, you know, I blew out my ears that way as a kid. Okay. Now I think the first side project is the weed, the freed weed, uh, the thing with Eric, right? 
Yeah, Weed Forreston would be the first thing. Weed Forreston. And Jay told me a little <laughs> something about this cat. Like he had a little, po he's kind of like the guy who had Circle One over here, had a little posse. Maybe Darby Crash was like that. But you get him in a band, and it ends up being uh, Cent Centrido? Cent well, we, it became Sebado. It was, it was uh, I, I, it, first it was Centrido because that was my name for my thing. And then when Eric, Eric, Eric and I kind of joined forces and I decided, I was like, man, he's got his own, he made his own uh, recordings. And I'm like, why don't we put our recordings together and become like this little collective, you know, the, between the two of us. And we called that Sebado. And we did a, the second cassette that I had done was one with him, was the collaboration with him and it was called The Freed Man. Now you can and, always tell an Eric song because it's going to have a soft part and a hollering part. <laughs> exactly. And he was, he was really, really into the me puppets. He was like, he loved oh, we, that in was a car. Our, our bonding thing was the me puppets. A big know. house in a car. First album. Yeah. And then also there, you know, also me puppets too. And uh, more country stuff. But. Well, Jay seems a fan of that. Yeah, we were, I mean, that was a, I mean, Me Puppets 2 was a huge deal for us. Yeah, I can imagine. Maybe that's why Dee Boone told me that. I don't know. Dee Boone yeah, just we wanted, he said we it wanted to me to just very, very, very genuinely. It was not a put down, man. He loved you guys. No, I, I, that is, I love that quote, and I think about it often. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, this becomes, I mean, folk employee, you do all kinds of side, probably, you leave Dinosaur, you do all this stuff, but it kind of starts with the stuff with Eric, and it don't. I think it lasted yep. to the th third album, right? Yeah, he, Eric made it to the fourth record. He made it to okay. the fourth okay. album. And then, uh, and then Jason Lowenstein, although he, he's kind of in between, right? He, he, he's it, he, like, he came he's still with the, you now, right? Yeah. He's Jason came in after Eric and I had done our second cassette. We decided we went, and after I got kicked out of Dinosaur, uh, Eric was like, man, we got to form a band and play some shows. And I was like, I don't want to be in a band anymore. I hate bands. And he's like, yeah. no, we got to be a band. And I got this perfect kid for, for, to play drums. And we went to, we get, we're going to go see him play. So we went to see Jason play in a band called Dissonant Voices. And he was playing drums and he was playing barefoot and playing just like Grant Hart. And we were like, this kid's awesome. And we got him to join. I heard Forces. he was a devotee of Eric. Yeah. He was, he loved, he loved Eric. I mean, I mean, Eric was a real character. You know, he was, a, he was, he would crash the open mic nights around town. And I don't know if you remember the, uh, that, that gig in Ames, Iowa. Oh my yes. God. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was heavy. <laughs> Look, I want to play all you people suck. Okay. Danger is not my thing or getting caught on the way down nice to believe we all can give and receive a warm one all the people suck yeah the ones that don't Craving the feel of war 
mouth on the teeth they're given. Oh, you people lost and the light that draws you in. Be a torch, a burning cross. You begin and you end. A feral emotion. The mirror of love. Reflections deceiving when seen from above. Yellow walls that don't 
Pedro show started uh, that chunk of music. What's well, the last music for this edition? All you people suck, Lou Barlow. Then you were just playing in the entrance wave from Derek Moneypenny, and finally Act of Faith, Lou Barlow. So tell me about this new album, uh, uh, Joyful Noise, right? Recordings. Yep, yep. I um, it's called from a series of of uh, I did monthly releases, like a subscription series, where people join this club and then they get something every month in the mail, like either a cassette or a, you know, a lathe cut or a seven inch and, or a 12 inch. And, uh, anyway, it was just like a monthly releases for about a year and a half. And every quarter I would do a little, I would do a batch of new songs. And then at the end of the, as the, the series was coming to a close, I suggested that the last part of the series be a, just, I just 
take all of the new songs and make it into a record. And that's what I did. So they were all there. There were new songs that I recorded over a period of a year and a half. You know what? I had a feeling about that because they do sound kind of different. They don't sound like one batch. No, I mean, I although in a way they are. I mean, I don't think I've ever done a record where they were recorded that close to each other. Usually my records are big, big mishmashes of, of material. But this was a this was actually kind of they were they kind of. I mean, to, well, look, to, I didn't mean like different kind of Lou Barlow sound. It was more like the sound, the the actual sound. Yeah. Yes, yes, I did. Like every every little every time that I would do it, I wanted I'd try to do something different. And what I really wanted to do overall was to recapture my cassette, the feeling of my cassettes, and also recapture kind of like the you know the idea of just like putting just finishing songs and not fucking looking back on them, not changing them, not like you know I just I was just like I just want to I want to like pound this stuff out like I'm putting out a seven inch EP, you know, every three months, you know, I want to do it like I want to get that feeling back of, of that immediacy and, and that kind of discipline that that takes. And that's so the album kind of reflects that. And I, I'm pretty pleased with it because of that. Oh, I love it. Look, we talked about you, you on guitar, you on bass. We ain't talked about your singing. You're one of my favorite fucking singers ever. Oh, thanks, Mike. Really? I think I got to tell well, you that in Japan once. You did. Yeah. And that was, and, and, yeah. Now, how did that come? How did the singing thing come? You weren't in the school choir or shit like that? I just like singing. I don't know. I've always liked to sing. I like, you know, once I, I recorded myself, like I said, like from an early age. So I got used to the sound of my voice and I started to really like it. And I also really liked, you know, I really love changing my, I love, you know, like in another life, I would, I would want to be like, I would want to like voice cartoon characters. You know, I love changing <laughs> my voice. I love fucking with my voice. I love like, I love comedy that uses voices. And I mean, I love like stuff like Firesign Theater and shit like that. I love things that are, that use the voice. And, and so I got, I just got really into my voice and singing. And that's, so my voice is, is, you know, my as, as, as my instrument as much as the guitar or the bass. Well, I gotta tell more. you, sometimes it ain't even the content of the word. I just like the way you fucking deliver it. Nice, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's fucking, you know, if I got to choose among singer men, oh my God. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, uh, Facebook. No, no, Instagram. no, not the corporate. You got your own thing, LubyCore or something? Yeah, I can't, I, that's like, I've totally, that, I've, that's fallen into disrepair. Unfortunately, okay. but, it's but it there. is still there. It is still there. It's a cool website. I would, I would, you know, I would encourage people to go there. But the content is is absolutely ancient. But you know, <laughs> and that's l o o b i e c o r e dot com. Yeah, I mean, I really like making videos now. So I make a lot of like stupid videos. I'm not stupid, but I make you know holiday videos with my wife, and I do I cover songs for each of one of those. I you know my kids are in them. I I cut. I love cutting together video and making stuff like that. So my YouTube channel is a really good place to, and I'm always putting stuff up on Bandcamp. I love like make, you know. Yeah, I making, like Bandcamp. That's good for music. I love it. That's know, good for I love musicians. making, you know, remastering, remixing old stuff, putting up releases on Bandcamp. I love that. I love making videos for Instagram and YouTube. You got a new record plan after this? Because this is kind of an anthology of the shit that you were doing. So is there going to be a brand new Lou Barlow record coming? Not anytime soon okay. <laughs> i mean I'm, I'll, I'm you know i'll be back on the road with dinosaur and i've i actually one really great development over the last couple of years is that i've really learned how to really use my time on tour and like really write on tour and so i'm kind of looking forward to to writing again on tour and just bringing my guitars and just starting to write and starting to really record more on tour and making more of these kind of impulsive uh 
you know, recordings on tour and just getting back to that kind of the real root. And well, when you get an album worth, would you come back on the show? We can talk about it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. Thank you so much for being here today. People, it's been the August 3rd, 2021 edition of Wap Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.